what I'm looking for in employees is empathy. Because you have to put yourself in the shoes of your clients and of your clients' customers in order to really motivate them. That's how we make magic in marketing. That was Stephanie Crockett, and this is Guild Stories. Welcome to Guild Stories, the podcast where every person has a story, and it's the stories that connect us all. I am Justin Rickliffs, founder and CEO of Guild Content. We are so grateful you're here. This podcast is a place where we'll explore the stories of hustlers, dreamers, and doers who are going for it by pursuing meaningful work and living life with purpose. Welcome to Guild Stories. Hey, welcome back to Guild Stories. This is Justin, and I am pleased to be joined virtually, not in person. We, we have met in person, uh, but pleased to be uh, joined today by the president and COO, Stephanie Crockett um, of Mower Agency. And Mower is a big powerhouse. I, oh, we can't wait to hear all about it. But um, yeah, it, it's Stephanie's been a fun connection through Matt Reed and Devin Simmons and some other folks that uh, a lot of you listeners have heard from before. And so, Stephanie, without me rambling longer, welcome to Guild Stories. Thank you so much, Justin. It's uh, It was so great to meet you a few weeks ago and happy to have an opportunity to talk today. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, by way of context, so Stephanie, uh, well, let, let, let's just, let's do it this way. Stephanie, why don't you just jump us into like, you know, if we, if we met in a proverbial elevator, like how would you kind of jump into like <laughs> what you're doing and, and who you are and what you're up to? Sure. So, um, so my role president and COO at Mower is actually a relatively new role that I, that I had for a couple of months now. I've been with the agency for about 17 years. Uh, we are a mid-sized uh, integrated firm that's located basically on the East Coast. We have nine, nine different locations and professionals in probably 15 different cities. Um, I'm headquartered in Syracuse, which is where I'm from. So born and raised uh, in the suburb of Syracuse uh, called Camillus, where my family is, and um, made a home here after college. And uh, my husband's family is from here as well. So we are proud upstate New York Syracuse residents, kind of making the making the most we can of the city that we love. And um, I've been really at Mower for again seventeen years, and grew up there uh, essentially, as I like to say, uh, really in the account management space. So started there as an AE, um, working on the FedEx account, and um, had an incredible uh, supervisor and leader of the Syracuse market at that time, who really. Um, kind of let me let me do my thing and help me build and grow and so here I am now uh, in this in this awesome new role. That's awesome! Congrats, by the way. I know we, you, <laughs> it was it was a uh, uh, highly visible and 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 cool just moment for for you. I'm assuming, but also just it was a neat kind of way to see all the the buzz and the momentum of of your announcement, which is awesome. So I I don't know a better way to ask it than like to say, man, 17 years anywhere is a lot. Um, 17 years in in the marketing and agency and advertising and storytelling space. Um, I, 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 I'm sure there's a million stories. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) tell me like kind of walk me through, yeah, just what, well, let's go all the way back. Like kind of grew up in Syracuse. How'd you get into this Mm -hmm. crazy industry that we both find ourselves in today? 
<laughs> it's so funny, Justin. I was just telling this story to somebody the other day because they were uh, asking, because Matt's a professor, I talk to a lot of students and um, and people that are either like recent grads or kind of trying to figure their game out. And uh, they were like, so how did you get into this? What did you learn? And I said, you know, when you're in high school and you're in that, in the yearbook and they have those things under your name that say like what they expect you to do, like when I grow up and inexplicably mine says marketing analyst, like how at 18 years old, I even knew what that was. My father was a realtor. My mom was a teacher. So I'm not really sure how Hmm. a marketing analyst was, but I guess it was just sort of in my blood. And, um, and I went to college and I was a business major. It was sort of the only thing I had as an option. And I, minored in, uh, in marketing communications and, uh, in environmental studies actually. Mm. And, um, and then I, I basically, and I say that those were like the classes that I took, but college was sort of a windy path for me. That was much more of a social exploration than it was an academic. (laughs) (laughs) So when I graduated from college, I didn't really have much of a, much of a path forward. So I started working in sales because it was really Mm. the only gig I can get because I didn't really have to act together. And, um, and it just so happened that the, the bar that I used to spend a lot of time at when I lived, uh, on Tipperary Hill in Syracuse after college and a good friend of mine was a copywriter, uh, at an agency and he was the bouncer or the doorman at Coleman's, awesome. uh, that bar that was like my home away from home that when I was in my early twenties and, um, we just got talking one day and he was like, you should come and interview with my company. And so that's how I got into the, into the agency world. So I had worked in a couple of different roles after doing a couple of sales jobs and then worked for uh, pyramid companies and mall developers in their marketing department for a little while. And then, and then got the gig working for uh, another small agency in Syracuse. And I was there for a few years before I got uh, recruited to work at Bower. That's so, amazing. Yeah. That- sort, of a, sort of a funny task. Yeah, no, they, they all, they always are. Um, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by, tell me more about the, the sales background training experience. Mm. I mean, I I had a, a similar path and kind of came up through, um, yeah, that kind of new biz, you know, commercial enterprise level sales type stuff. Like, and, and it's, um, I don't know, I'm biased, but it's like, is there anything more important than learning how to how to sell to companies. <laughs> I don't, I'm well, a... I, I think what it, yeah, I, I totally get it. And it's definitely certainly made its way into the, into the work that I do every day. Right. And have done for quite some time. Right. Um, as I mentioned, my father was a realtor and he's probably the least like sales mini kind of realtor mm. uh, ever. But um, I think it was always just sort of something natural to, to me of, of that. Um, what I love about sales and what I love about marketing is that it's really about, sort of psychology and understanding okay. people and kind of figuring out kind of problem solving a little bit. And, um, my first sales job and I'm going to just show off my age instantly because I sold copiers and fax machines. That's awesome. That was my job. That's awesome. And I got it because I like temped, temped, as a uh, receptionist there. And, uh, then they were like, Hey, you've got a personality. Maybe you could come and try and sell some office equipment. And it sucked. I was not good at it at all. I, d- I didn't really like it. Again, I was in my early 20s, not what I wanted to be doing. And, uh, but it was, you know, I, I did learn a lot. I had great sales training and they taught me a lot about um, kind of solution selling and not taking no for an answer. And mm-hmm. even though it was sort of a, not the best fit for me, I learned from some really incredible individuals 
who were masterful at mm. what they did and they were just great people and they were happy to sort of take me along for a ride and I ended up moving into a sales role working in advertising sales so working for a local uh, entertainment newspaper and so that sort of bridged the gap for me a little bit from just straight sales and just somewhat advertising marketing related and I was really on my own and found myself kind of running the sales department and hiring people and mentoring people when I was like 24 years old it was it was wild because I I didn't know what the hell I was doing but ended up having a lot of fun with it and meeting some great people and, and incredibly made connections with business owners that I continue and friendships that I've had now for, you know, almost 25 years. Yeah, that's right. So it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. But for sure it was, um, you know, really trying to understand again, those different kind of pain points of companies and what, what would work for them and learning all of that. And that's so clearly like not only kind of selling in the marketing world, but just, everything that we do for our clients and what we do for them and for their customers. Yeah. Gosh, dang. I love that. Thanks for explaining. Cause it, it's, um, yeah, to your point about your dad, not being the salesman, traditional mm-hmm. route, which is like, and maybe, maybe today it's not as, as, you know, considered a whatever sleazy or salesy type role. Um, yeah. but man, like when sales done right and, and true, like, empathetic understanding it, it's it's exactly. beautiful it's harmonious it's not yeah. there's no like friction in it it's like yes t- i'm in major pain tell me how much it costs to get the root canal fixed in my right. mouth yeah <laughs> like, absolutely um, and is, what you just said is like such a critical thing when you said about the sort of empathetic side when people ask me like what are you looking for and this is from marketing folks this isn't necessarily for sales folks but that's what we do right we sell things what, whatever role you play, if you're an account manager, if you're a writer, an art director, if you're a media buyer, whatever any of those things are, we're really trying to understand, like you said, what are those pain points for our clients? And how do we get people to, you know, sort of understand how we can overcome those? And I always say it's about what I'm looking for in employees is empathy. Because you have to put yourself in the shoes of your clients and of your clients' customers in order to really motivate them and to understand what their barriers are, what their challenges are. And without being that empathetic and kind of that, that psychological evaluation of who you're trying to connect with, um, that's how we make magic in marketing, really. Man, well said. That, that by the way, is the intro to the show. So nice job. <laughs> that was amazing. Um, and, and, and it's no wonder, right? Like you've, you've clearly kind of moved your way all the way to the highest level of an organization that's significant in size and scope and impact. Um, but that, that mindset, why is that so rare? Like, I I don't know. I still feel like there's so many, um, kind of push, pushy messaging or lame messaging or don't connect at all to my pain messaging. Like, why is that, why is that approach both from, you know, kind of the, the agency landscape, but also, you know, brands and, and people, why, why is it, why is it rare to have an empathetic understanding conversation? And it's, I don't know, maybe that's just the humanity of it all. Well, I, I think what's so fascinating about our industry is, and, and really the changes that we've experienced over the last 20 years, um, have in some cases, um, I think there are some advertisers and some brands that have re- that really get it and they understand. Yeah. And that's when you see that magic and you see that yeah. beautiful work that's really enticing. But I think there are still 
a lot of holdouts for creative for creative sake, right? That are mm. that the creative the creative brief may as well just say like be provocative, right, <laughs> or something asinine like that. Yep. And then I think the other piece of it is that we have been over the last twenty years inundated with so much technology in our space, where that you have agencies or marketers, however, whatever role that you're in, if you're in-house or in an agency role like we are, that are trying to figure out what to do with all this information, right? Mm -hmm. And I think what has happened, um, and I, and we're hopefully, you know, brands will try to get back to this is for so, for so many years, we were all trying to figure out this data piece and you're getting in the technology and, and all of these things. And we've lost sight of of the insights we've lost sight at the heart of what we do That's right. because you're so wrapped around the actual like now I have all this information and in the beginning it was just about like clicks and data like shit 20 years ago there was none of that right. I mean there's nothing to track effectiveness of what we were doing other than brand research or ultimately sales or literally people picking up the phone and calling you and so now we've got the Google which is like the yellow pages of forever ago mm. and so we have something that's so trackable that people just got so wrapped in the data that they really lost sight of like, what are we trying to do here? And it's motivate people and get into their hearts. And now because there's so many different ways to communicate with people that, and you're seeing brands who are doing it well and doing it really relevantly. Right. But you see brands like Wendy's, one of the best social media messengers probably in the market that they have like just really smart fighting funny, that kind of thing. And I think other brands try and keep up with that without really thinking about their brands, the authenticity about their customers. They're just like, I want to do what that guy's doing. And things have gone viral. How do I make a viral video? Like how many times have people oh asked you gosh. that question, right? Uh, yeah, we, and you're like, I say we can't. That's We're not, not doing how that. it works, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's no, right. that's not how it goes. So I think people have just, I think that's really kind of lost that empathy a little bit because you have marketers mm. that have frankly uninformed people that are like, CFOs or CEOs or somebody or the mother or somebody that they pay attention to that's like, you should make a viral video, right? And so like, <laughs> how do you get that? And instead, I think people have just got so like jacked up with all of these different things that have become influences that you kind of strip all of that away. Be like, this is about people and about their hearts and their minds and understanding mm-hmm. the families and the communities that you're trying to sell to and creating communities of people who are going to be loyal friends to you because of the way that you're treating them and because of how you're speaking to them and how you're relating to them and mm-hmm. how you're, you know, developing a, a relationship of trust. And that's not going to happen with quote unquote provocative creative or like over architecting things because of the data that's available, right? It's just become so distracting that we've kind of lost sense of how to do things just simply and really just getting, getting to customers and letting all of those, all the channel selections just be a way to elevate the creative instead of mm. dictate it. Mm. Right. Well said, well said. Yeah. You, you could teach a class on that clearly. Cause it's, um, <laughs> it's just so, and, and we're, we're babies in this game, right? Like we're, we're not even five years old in the, the work we're trying to do, but yeah, we've, we've had a hand, we've sat in a handful of meetings with folks who are like, it's yeah. all only about the numbers and the return and the sales or the, mm-hmm. like they, they use language like, you know, we want to blast our customers. I'm like, you should call someone else. We're not going to blast anybody. Yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah, we're, we're going to have a conversation about connecting and weird stuff, like the emotions we want them to feel when they see or hear, or read the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
can can we have that conversation? And, and that that that's always <laughs> like a little bit of a, yeah. um, you know, feels sometimes more like counseling them than like the traditional sense of marketing. But I I, I love how you how yeah. you frame that up. That's super super smart. <laughs> I would uh, you know it makes me curious about how do you again you guys are operating at such a different level than than our group um, and having conversations at a different you know level what like how do you solve that though like that kind of tension between emotional connection and results-based or performance-based marketing and and I know you know that's like the age-old marketing question right but how do you how do you guys start to bridge like the data is amazing and powerful and wonderful and like isn't the whole story isn't even close to the whole story right yeah well, I, I think it's a good it's a good question, and it's a conundrum for so many because I think you know what we what you're faced with, and part of the reason why our clients are always talking about the data and they're talking about the numbers is because that's what they're being held yeah. responsible for, yeah. right? So you have to recognize that piece of it, right? And so um, I think the, the the mystery is, or that maybe the misunderstanding is probably a better way to say it is that generating leads and generating sales and generating numbers is not mutually exclusive Mm. with creating connections with customers Mm. and driving awareness. I mean, the bottom line is nobody is going to buy your widget if they don't know who the hell you are. Right. So awareness is the basis of lead generation and you can't have one without the other. And the, and I think the thing that's so tough is that especially in like a B2B world, which we do a lot in B2B sales, is that people forget that you're not just selling to like a persona or a demographic, you're selling to a flipping person. Mm. And I don't care what their title is or what their mm. numbers are. It's still a human, right? right. So well said. is that you can't kind of pull away from that piece of it. And so I think that it's being able to use the data, not in a way that becomes almost uh, formulaic, right? But it's that mix of, you know, this is, total um, cliche, but that mix of like art and science yep, together, yep. right? That's that's the magic of data analysis. But connecting it to the creativity and having smart planners and smart strategists that can that can take that information and say, okay, what, what the heck am I really looking at here, right? Like, what does all this mean? This isn't just about like the numbers, but it's got to be like there's a movement that I'm noticing here or some motivation between uh a reality of people and what they're facing and, and what have you. And, and being able to get the creative to do that and then match that with like taking action. I mean, that's, that's the kind of stuff that mm. I, we put it in front of our creative team and I'm sure you have the same thing and they come back with something and I'm like, how the hell did you figure that out? Fabulous. <laughs> I don't know how you got there, but well done. Yep. Yep. So I'm always amazed by the things they can come up with, but it really takes, Again, smart planners and strategists that can um, take all of that and, and pull it in, and, and, and getting the customers and clients and doing the job of communicating to them and getting them to understand. These, again, these things are not mutually exclusive. You you can use the numbers, but you have to match it with the art. It can't just be about the science. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. As you've in in, in obviously come up through the the ranks and the the different roles and the influence um, you've clearly led all along the way. So I'm not not assuming you you're, you just started leading as the as the president, right? Um, but like in this new role in this new chapter of your story, um, how I, I don't know how did how have you? I kind of hate the word balance, but like ha, ha, prioritized maybe. How have you prioritized your 
team development, executive development, client work. Like I just mm -hmm. at at the at the again kind of the size and scope of your team. Mm -hmm. um, I imagine those are like conscious decisions of where you spend your time. I think lots lots of the folks that listen um, to this show not like whatever. We, we, there there are lots of folks who love marketing, but there's also a, a current of sure. leadership and development. And how do you, sure. you know, how sure. do you, how do you become one of Matt Reed's professors? And then, or I mean, one of his, <laughs> one of his students as his professor. Um, right. and like, what would you tell a 22 year old in terms of like, Hey, here's some key leadership chops that I've learned along the way or yeah. that I'm focused on now. Well, I'll say, as I mentioned, it's only been a couple of months since I've been in this role, right? So even though, yes, I have, um, you know, had an opportunity to be in, um, in kind of leadership positions in the company for a while, um, it's really the balance piece of like how I'm spending my time and balancing mm -hmm. that is, 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 uh, is evolving. <laughs> yep, yep. It's an in motion situation right now. You know, I, I feel really strongly about the fact that, um, I feel blessed that I, because I am hands-on in the business, mm. managing clients, um, mm. and I have the most amazing teams of people around me, that's the stuff that's like, okay, I'm going to have to delegate a little bit more of that, but I don't want to step out of it entirely. Because if, if I do, totally. then I don't have a real good understanding of the day-in, day-out work that our clients are experiencing, that our art directors, project managers, production folks, media folks, like I need to be in it. Right. Yeah. So in order to really kind of get that sense, um, I'd say one of the most important things that I've learned is that leadership and management are two completely different things. Mm. Right. And I don't care how many direct reports you have to me. Headcount is not an indication of leadership by any means. That's right. And anybody can lead and, and do and and do lead in ways that have nothing to do with your title That's right. or yep. your role, right? We have. Um, I I just had a conversation actually with a client uh, a couple of months ago. Found herself in a position where she has a couple of teammates who are out on um, family leave, and I said to her, "You're a natural born leader. This is a, a huge mm. opportunity for you to really step in and and um, work with the with the team that you've got and kind of bring it." And she was like, "Oh my gosh." I've never been a, I've never been a leader before. And I said, no, no, you may never have been a manager before, mm. but you're a leader every day. I can see it in my interactions with you. And it's just about the way that they are commanding, not the room in a, in a way that it's just about her saying and leading by example and leading by her thrive for, for doing things better and education and learning and leading is not about, about you, right? It's really about recognizing the people around you and how to help them get what they need. Bam. That to me Boom. is my job, Boom. right? Yep. My job is who are all the people around me, my clients, my colleagues, um, and, and how do I help them be successful and however they've defined success for themselves? Because that's not my job to tell them what they should do, how they should behave. The, the balance is a little bit of it's determining how do we mix what they're looking for out of life, out of their career, and and what does the agency need and want, and making that you know finding a, a right. great sort of a connection there between those two roles. Um, I'd say the the one thing when people always ask me like, how have you been in the same company for so long? And, and I'll be honest, uh, uh, from the leadership team at, at Mower, I'm one of the the least amount of mm. years 
we've got significant longevity in the company, which is which is humbling to say the least. But it's really because you know I knew within a few months of being there because unfortunately, even though I hadn't worked for too many years before starting at Mueller, I'd worked enough places to know what I didn't want and worked enough places to recognize. And I was at that point when I was about 30 when I came to Mueller and I realized, you know, it's more important for me to wake up every day and feel good about the fact that I come to a place that there are shared values. And that is so much more important because I had worked for some shady people before mm. then, and people that mm. didn't have the same commitment to community and some other things. So that for me is, is a significant part of why I found a home there. And it's when I interview people and usually it's like at a point where I'm just talking to them about culture and what they can expect. And I always say that, like I found a home here because I found a, a reflection of the values that framed me from my parents growing up and what mattered to me. And so for me, that leadership piece was also being able to sort of, um, lead again through those values and being able to use those as a way to sort of set the tone for how we behave and treat each other and treat our clients and, and the kind of, the kind of place that we want to be every day. And so that, that is a big, big piece of it is finding balance comes from when you feel good at where you're spending 10, 12 hours a day. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so the values piece is more important than anything else. Amazing. Uh, uh, you walked it right in. You walked us right into it. I, uh, that was one of my questions was like, you could have done lots of other things. Right. And, and, and there's like this, um, I don't know, especially that there's this like culture of hop and go, you know, the grass is greener yeah. and all these other places and amazing, you know, this new startup and this old agency that's rebranding, whatever. Like, You've right, stayed right. for specific reasons. And this is, this is somewhat of a selfish question that I'm about to ask you, <laughs> but, but like, <laughs> as, as, as I, you know, stare down where we're going and growing, um, there's, and I've said this and clients listen to our show too. And so hopefully they, they won't take offense here. It's way harder <laughs> to find amazing employees than it is to find projects I've, I've found, um, and yeah. we want, we need more work. We want more work. We want to keep growing all that stuff. Um, but, but to build, to attract, build, retain, develop, um, a, a world-class team is hard. It is just hard. And so yeah, I'm curious, like, what are those core, you mentioned values, you mentioned culture, like what are those core pieces that, you know, as president, you're going, Hey, these, these are non-negotiables. This is what, this is what we do here and why we do it. This, this is, this is the essence or the DNA of our, of our team. Yeah. I, I mean, we feel exactly what you feel too. And, and, and what's bad is you're in a bigger market than I am. Right. So we, again, we have offices in a lot of places, but I'm in Syracuse. So for us to find incredible talent in a city that's that small while there are amazing graduates and you know a lot of talent of course in the market but certainly over the last year and a half most of our i, I don't think i've hired one person that's mm. actually from syracuse mm. right they're all from other places it's enabled us to have incredible diversity which is amazing i've got like four people in miami now i don't have an office there not opposed to the idea mm. of a miami office of course <laughs> right. but um <laughs> right sure um but so your, your question is so timely because as we look towards the future and for me kind of now being in the role where it's um, really carrying forward what 
Eric created for the last 50 years and thinking about how we're sort of stepping into the next, you know, the next chapter, so to speak. Um, and it's really sort of a continuation of the story. Mm. And it's, it's the same thing that, that we've always had, but also, frankly, just more of a focus on the fact that um, it's the, the values are very important. Um, but sometimes I think we've always been so focused, frankly, on the client's work and being able to bring success for them. Yeah. And that's driven a lot of us, right? Yeah. And yeah. we love what we do. Um, but... And I'll say this again, my clients might be paying attention to this. Not all clients are all that grateful. <laughs> yep. Right. Yep. And so <laughs> that's only going to get you so far mm. and it's only going to motivate you that much. Um, and so as an employee, I think the one thing that we've learned over the last 18 months, and we are in an industry where we're impacted by the culture that you see of big companies like Facebook and Google. Culture is not happy hours and foosball tables. That's right. That's right. Right. And, that has become clearer more now than ever when we don't have an opportunity or haven't had an opportunity to play football or go down at the hour together. Right. So you have to create a feeling where you're like, I want to be part of something that matters, that cares, that has purpose. Hmm. And every agency I think has to strive for what that purpose is, like what really matters to them. Hmm. And for us, we have spent so much time and will continue to, continuously from now until whenever of getting as much input from our employees as possible mm. to make sure that the purpose that we all have together is reflective of what they care about. That's right. Right. We, we think about the ways that we want to be involved in our community. That's a pillar of who we are as an organization. It's not a nice to have. It's a required. It's expected of you that you are going to have some volunteer involvement, that you're going to do something and for us as an organization, how do we choose to spend our time when we do that together as groups need to be reflective of the things that our employees really care about. And so, and I can't really define our culture all that well, other than to say, and I've said this to people in the past, when they've asked me, like, tell me what the culture is. And I'm like, here's my answer to that. Mm. If you're an asshole, you're not going to work for us very long. <laughs> Like, that's just it. Because, man, don't be a Richard man. Let's go. Right. To, surround yourself, to surround yourself with people like that. And, um, you know, we've had instances where we've made super expensive hires that we've, like, gone to put them through the pieces and brought them up, and visited in time. And then you realize after three months, like, oh, man, we made a mistake. Mm. This is not a good fit, mm. super destructive, whatever. And you make tough choices. And, but you're like, I'm not going to sacrifice everybody else for this. Mm. So we make choice choice. You know, you, yep. you, you yep. have to move on. You have to move on. So that to me is just the way that I think it's thinking about the future is just, you know, being really reflective of what matters to them, listening and um, realizing that the world changes. We've experienced so many changes in the last couple of years and that we have to just be flexible to that and that will continue to guide us. Yeah. What we want to be is um, our our thing is all around um, our our philosophy is brand is brand as as employees and as people that work at Mower we consider ourselves fierce friends. It's the way that we communicate with each other. We hold each other accountable. We we really build a bat for each other. And for me, it's about building that community of people that feel like, man, I I want to go to bat. I want to 
fucking throw down with this person every day and feel good about it. Sorry uh, that I just said no, that. No, I, I, I think it's amazing <laughs> that you said that. Um, I love it. So I, it, it, man, I'm, the wheels are turning too fast. I need to slow them down for a moment. The, the way that I think what connected, what, what resonated deeply when you were describing that goes actually back to your view of the client work and the empathetic understanding, Mm -hmm. storytelling, connecting, making a human feel something, um, is actually done better and more consistently and, and we're in progress, big time, big, big time process on all of this stuff in real time, like yeah. our, our group is. Um, but when you, I mean, my belief, and I think it validates what you just said, my belief is that if you have a team who can be honest with each other, no, no fierce friends, I love that. I'm probably going to steal that. I'll give you credit. Um, <laughs> but Okay, great. But when, <laughs> when that happens and you've got, honesty and you've got empathy and you've got some bravery and some like some uh some some cojones to go for it and like make make things happen it actually makes the client work way better too and like the 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 flywheel spins in a way that's like um contagious and has awesome momentum and and creates further growth and and my and we've experienced it to some degree like when it goes the other way that's equally as as has as equal momentum, but you're just going the wrong direction, right? Like yeah. when, when you've got people yeah. who aren't happy, aren't talking, are isolated, are not, you know, not fierce friends, then the client work suffers. <laughs> like, duh. I was just going to say, cause the work isn't good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, for us, and I said, our, that fierce friendship thing is really born out of this kind of branded friend philosophy. We look at the relationships that we have with each other, that we have with our clients and, and that our clients have with our customers. It's, it's a relationship, it's friendship. And so you look at the tenets of like, what's the most important? Take your, your best friend. Like, what are the things that you would describe? It's because you have similar um, interests, because you trust each other, because you make connections for each other. That trust part is so critical, that loyalty and honesty. I mean, my best friend and I, we absolutely will call each other out when we're being jerks or when we're kind of making bad moves or, you know, when we're like, Hey, no, not the way to go. This is the path for you. Like, you know, those are the things that, that you have to do. And those are the things that brands have to do that we have to do with our clients. We need to do with our customers. And it's how you really create those connections without, without question. Mm. And I think it's when, when those things kind of fall apart and you, and you lose that sense of it. We listen, not all of our client relationships are perfect. Um, we've had a few that started off tough, started off rocky. And it was really about me trying to get to the core of who are these people? How can we relate to them? Mm. And the moment we got on a better page, the work got better. That's right. Because we were really inspiring each other and listening to each other. Probably most importantly is really listening. And, um, and that's one of those core tenets of just thinking about it. Like it's all about the relationship. Right. And so it's, it's you're you're spot on. It has to be that way, or um, or the work suffers. Mm, echo all that. Yeah, no, that's so true. We yeah. we we do this random little thing on Fridays where around lunchtime I'll send a group text. We try not to text a ton because it's whatever, super distracting. But on Fridays we'll send a group text, and we're, we're like fourteen people, right? Not a huge thing. Yeah. Um, but 
send a text and say, Hey, what was your win of the week? Go. And then people just chime in and say like, whatever, one thing that, mm. that they, that they loved or happened or inspired them or whatever. And one this week, Claudia on our team sent, um, kind of a screenshot of a client who fairly new client. And we had this text with them, with the president and then the head of like digital strategy and, and then like four or five of us. And we're like, they needed some answers. And so the text kind of emerged as like a, we needed to know something quick and she told us to text her and whatever mm-hmm. else. And then the client changed, thank goodness, um, you know, for iPhones, she changed the name of the text string to guild content family. <laughs> and it was like her, ah. her, her boss and like four of us. Oh, <laughs> it's like, man. and so she was, uh, anyway, Claudia was like, that was the win of the week was when a client Absolutely. referred to us as family. Cause it's like, that's what we want. We want to be part of their team, part of 100%. their business, part of their, um, their strategy. So anyway. Yeah. One of my clients recently said in an email to me, she was like, we're, um, it's a, it's a resort and we're doing a mm. leader leadership retreat next week at mm. their, at their place. And she said, um, we are so happy that our fierce friends from Mower are going to be joining us. Dang. And I was like, Oh damn girl. Yes. Thank That's you. Amazing. It was like, it was, yeah, it was so satisfying and they're incredible, incredible people. Like the smartest clients and just love them and just so proud for them to really kind of, like you said, just treat, just feel that same kind of relationship. It's, it's, it's what motivates us every day. That's amazing. That's exactly what we want. That is yeah. amazing. Yeah. I love that. Um, mm. Not to like flip it too drastically to the negative, but like, yeah. how do you, uh, or, or maybe, maybe a better way to kind of phrase it. How have you observed not in your own culture necessarily, but like in the marketing, advertising, branding world, like burnout is a thing. (laughs) And like this, um, this, this, uh, I don't know, this belief that like we, everything's an emergency or everything's urgent. How how do you, how do you, or how have you? And again, this is like free advice for me really. (laughs) Um, or for, for me, how do you, navigate that stuff? How have you seen others do it well, others do it not well? Like what, what's that looked like over the years for you? Yeah, it's, um, it's a great question. And it, it is just such a, uh, an element of our industry, right? Um, some of those urgencies are real and some of them aren't right. And so I think, um, we have clients that operate that are almost, they're not retailers, but they operate in that kind mm-hmm. of sense, right? That it's like, we have to help you promote a Mother's Day sale or yep. something that has timeliness or what have you. And then you have a lot of clients that there is no element of that as part of their, of their work. Um, but they're, they feel like there's that urgency all the time mm. or some that just don't respect the boundaries of, of work. And frankly, um, I think the industry is, is, was born that way. Yep. Honestly, yep. we've created monsters because oh. of, our own behavior mm. and um, I'm guilty of it myself. So Same. Um, very guilty. Just, yep. Right. I just read this thing the other day that was like, stop glamorizing overworking. Mm. And I'm a person, I hate to say this because I shouldn't be glamorizing. I work every <laughs> night. I work most weekends, not all night, not yep. all weekend, not yep. every night. Right. But like most. Yeah. Yep. And, um, and I always say, I don't want anybody else to do that. That's why I do it. So they don't have to. Mm. But learning that I burn out too, mm-hmm. and that sacrifices my ability to help my team 
mm. but sacrifices my ability to be a good daughter, be a good wife, mm. be a good aunt, like mm. all of those things. And so it's as much about the mm-hmm. personal piece of that, right? Totally. And when I hear my colleagues talking about that, I'm horrified yeah. that they're in that position. And I'm like, stop immediately. Let's see what we can do to fix. Yeah. How do we get more resources? How do we do this? And that's a, that's a tough thing for a company uh, and an industry that builds by the hour, that is all paying attention to use, you know, utilization and billability and all that kind of stuff. Yep. We're yep. so intent on those numbers. And what we've seen over the last 18 months is that people are feeling like they're working harder and the burnout is feeling real. They're not working any harder. They're not work. I shouldn't say that. They're not mm. working any more hours. The mm. data shows that's not the case, at least for us. But it, the world has gotten mm-hmm. harder. Mm-hmm. The work may not have been, but the world has. And feelings, while they might not be fact, they're still feelings and they mm. feel real. Mm. So it's still something to, to deal with, right? And so from the client's perspective, we've been very blessed to say that we have clients that are very mindful of the mental health of their people. Mm. They're, they're appropriate. They don't really ask too much. There's a lot of things that are last minute. But we, we make no mistakes about saying, like, that's the case, but our expectation is not that you're working nights, weekends, all the time. We started working in, like, delaying email sends. So for those of us that do might work on the evenings that we aren't expecting, we're not sending an email out to the team at 10 o'clock at night so that they feel like they have to respond. Mm. I'm, like, delaying those so they come in at 8 the next morning so that it's between reasonable work hours. Mm. Like, some of those things that were just simple little tools. But so I think from the from the client's perspective, it's it's really I think again some clients are mindful of that for themselves as individuals, are mindful of that for their employees, their colleagues, so they don't really um, drive us too far in that way. And then others um, are just sort of succumbing to the realities of the industry that they're in. And it's really our job to help prepare, train them a little bit better. If they say, hey, can I get this by tomorrow? No, but I can have it to you by Thursday at this time instead. Mm. And I, we have some people in our company that are really good at that and some mm. that aren't because they think good client service means immediacy. Yep. Yep. And sometimes um, that's, you know, fast isn't always best. And the quality can sometimes suffer when you're doing it too quickly. That's right. Um, and so it's finding, yeah, I mean, it's, I, it's a very roundabout answer, but no, it's, a wonderful it's, um, answer. it's, uh, it's not, uh, if I have the solution to say we can stop all of the like immediate things, then we got to bottle that and sell that to the industry. <laughs> <laughs> We'd buy it. <laughs> that would be, yeah, absolutely. So would we. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. No, it's, it's, you said a lot there that I'm like, yep hand raised, right? Like, um, I yeah, told, I told yeah. our team at our retreat a few weeks ago, I was like, Hey, not asking for sympathy or pity, just owning, like I, I'm in my, in the, you know, bed of my home with my wife who I've been married to for almost 20 years with my damn laptop open almost every effing night. <laughs> and I'm like, this isn't okay. Like this is, I, I've, I cre- I've created this monster, right? Because, yeah. um, in, 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 and here's where I think it hits, it hits pretty close, like to, to my home personally, but also just home in the industry is, I think there's, at least for me, there's this, um, competitive, scarce, fearful, 
oh shit, if I don't say yes, we can get that to you tomorrow, you may oh. fire me and go somewhere else yeah. who, who might. And, and again, major work in progress here. But what's, what's actually true, and you nailed it, is like, nope, can't, but, but, but by Thursday at four we will, and it'll actually be way better uh-huh. because it's not going to be up to me. It's going to be up to the team who's doing wonderful work, and it's not like freaking yeah. frantic and chaotic. <laughs> like, right. Um, well, it's so funny that, you're, that we're talking about this. I'll tell you, Eric Muller told me a story today, this morning, uh, about client, and this goes back probably 30 years ago. Mm. Um, and, uh, and it's a former client of ours and he was pitching, pitching them. And they said, okay, we love everything you're telling us. When can we be on the air? Mm. And he said, well, 90 days. If you give me 90 days, I promise you, mm. you're going to have a campaign you're going to love. And they were like, okay, thank you. We'll, we'll get back to you. He said, and I knew the moment I walked out the door, mm. it's not what they wanted to hear. He said, I had two choices. I could either give them lie mm. until mm. they'd be in market earlier or, or, you know, tell them the truth. So he heard from the client and they said, no, sorry. Great. But Young and Rubicum, this was back I guess, yeah. 30 years ago yeah. when they were in Rochester, said they could have us on the air in 45 days. And he said, listen. I'm telling you right now, that's never going to happen. <laughs> and if it does, it's gonna be you're going to hate the work. Right. So he said about 130 days later, he started seeing spots on the air. And he picked up the phone and he called wow. the client and said, hey, so I just started seeing the spots on the air. It, is this new? Did I miss something? They're like, no, nope. <laughs> this is the first time we were on the air. And he's like, thank you. So we won the account 14 mm. months later mm. because you can tell them fast, but it's, it might suck mm. or you can lie and just be realistic. About it, right. So sometimes that's not that's <laughs> that's awesome. the solution, but it's a great story. That yeah. is a wonderful story. I love that. All right. My, my, I've about extended the time that you've got, I, I've got one big question and then we'll, we'll wrap with our final five. Sure. My last, and this is, you know, crystal ballish, right? But like if mm-hmm. you survey the landscape ahead for branding, storytelling, marketing, advertising, whatever bucket, content, what are like whatever, three, five, one, whatever, whatever comes to mind, what are some some trends, ideas, concepts? What do you think is gonna be important? If we had this conversation in three to five years from now, what would you be like? Mm-hmm. Oh, this is what happened or what we saw happening. Um, what do you, what do you see on the horizon in this like wild, weird industry we're in? Hmm. Well, I think, um, I think a, a continuous, um, understanding of, um, of, of actual real people. And I don't think we're going to move away from the data. Um, but I think it's going to be ever, it's going to be more important, but the way that we're using it is going to be different. Mm. And so I think it's going to become um, just different expectations from the perspective of like, I no longer care about clicks and a lot of clients aren't caring about that stuff anymore. Right. Like it's moving away from that, but it's continuing to evolve to a place where more data is going to become available Mm. and we're going to have to figure out different ways to use it and the ability to generate that even faster than ever, which is going flying in the face of what we were just talking Mm. about. Mm. Um, I think it's going to be, there's going to be uh, a big piece of it. So that's not necessarily 
a major change. I think it's just going to be like a continuous evolution. AI is something that's going to remarkably impact um, the industry and is already. And I think that that is something that um, a lot of agencies are just going to have to figure out. But I don't think it means we necessarily need to staff for it, right? Mm. And so that's the other piece that I think is going to be a is is going to continue to be a shift. I think we will start seeing more and more um, outsourcing of talent and industry in the industry instead of staffing up for um, for work. I think I think that the trend towards freelance and contract work because we're becoming so much more flexible as a society. Um, and I think that that will continue and it'll manifest itself in ways where we will work even more across um, different teams and pulling in talent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we all want to have more diversity of thought and diverse uh, employees and that, not necessarily because of the pictures of our website to be like, check that box, look yep, at me. Yep, yep. Uh, but more so to say, like, I really need different perspectives. That's right. I have a bunch of white guys trying to figure out how to sell the black women. How the yep. hell am I going to do that? Yep. Right. Yeah. So, but I can't afford to pay all of these people mm. and I don't want to lose. Right. So I think, I think that that's going to be a big, um, a shift to a degree that we'll continue to see that. And I think numbers of full-time employees in agencies will change a little. Um, and I would say that I think, um, I, and this is purely selfish. I think independent agencies are gonna are going to continue to really rise up as being much more flexible um, for for marketers because there is so much bureaucratic. Oh man! Yeah. Um, in in the big holding companies, and I say that with much respect for the talent and incredible work that they produce, but. Um, there are employees are going to get sick of that. So they're going to lose good talent out to companies, hopefully like ours. So we can, we can scoop them up. Right. But maybe scoop them up as freelancers. That's right. Because they're going to need that flexibility. They're going to want that freedom. And so I think from the talent perspective, we just need to all look at our business models a little differently. Mm. And the same thing, like I was saying before, being a leader has nothing to do with headcount. Being a phenomenal agency doesn't either. Right. More is not always better. Sometimes it's just more. Yeah. And as a company like ours that grew through acquisition and increased the number of offices and rents that we developed over years, we built incredible strength and incredible talent from, from that work. But in the future, are we going to go and buy a bunch of agencies that are, have expensive mm. rent? Hell no. Mm. So it's just not, not the way to move forward. The expenses are just too great. So I think, again, being flexible and thinking differently about the business model. Um, and I think, again, that's where that's really the diversity of thought uh, comes from and, and better creative. That's awesome. Well said. Good job. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, all right. So final five, here we go. Number one, yeah. what is the last or recent or favorite book that you've read or listened to? Okay. I hate this question. <laughs> I'm sorry. Because... And I get asked this question when I'm like speaking of it. I am not a big reader and I, I shouldn't say that I read voraciously the news huh. yep. and industry work, yep. but I am not a big book reader. That being said, so the last book that I read is going to feel a little old school, but it was, um, I, and when I do read, I read mainly nonfiction. 
Um, and so the last book that I read was I Am Malala, which oh. is Malala Yousafzai's book. And um, she's just such an incredible person and woman and uh, just overcame a tremendous amount to be a leader. Mm. And this is a, you know, a teenager who frankly put herself mm. in at death's door to support what she believed in. And it was just an incredible story. And um, every time, and just so inspiring. And uh, thinking back to one of the questions you had earlier about what you say to students, right? Um, mm. I mean, be, be Malala. <laughs> that's awesome that, i mean not all of that don't have to yeah, be shot yeah, yeah. in the face but you know just fight for what you believe in that's amazing that's amazing <laughs> if you and matt are like hanging at the dang it i forgot the name of the little uh that cool like coffee shop vibe right there by the hotel um shoot i, I was like planning on is it cafe kubal no uh right by the oh. marriott downtown syracuse there's that sweet like farmer's market thing and there's a coffee shop oh yeah salt city market salt city yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. dang it i mm-hmm. was like i was i was gonna try to like, name, okay. name drop a syracuse yeah, you're, coffee you're shop. so proud of yourself <laughs> <laughs> that screwed it up if you and matt are chilling like saturday mid-morning grabbing coffee at salt city mm-hmm. what's your go-to t-shirt oh probably my um hungry hungry charlie's t-shirt and uh hungry charlie's is, was like an institution up on su hill it was like the bar one of the first bars that I got into when I had my sister's fake ID <laughs> and um, fondly referred to as Chuck's, which um, sadly is no longer uh, up on the hill because they built some big um, apartment building. But yeah, it's my, my Hungry Charlie t-shirt. Love my jam. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, what would you do right now if you weren't afraid? Um, this is probably the worst thing to say. I would I'd take six months off of work mm. to travel. Mm. No, yeah, that's a good thing to say. That's awesome. I think, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, four, come on, brain. It's Friday. Um, oh, what is your favorite place on earth? Honestly, um, my couch, mm. hanging out with Matt and my cats. Mm. Like that's my favorite place. My favorite place that I've ever been is New Orleans. Both are that's my great answers. Both are great answers. Yeah. Um, cool and then a little heavier when it's all said and done what do you want to be remembered for Um, I want to be remembered for being a good daughter Mm. yeah Mm. that's probably the most important important thing to me that's awesome I have pretty incredible parents and uh, I owe everything to them Mm. so that's a wonderful tribute I love that how can people follow like your story, your chapter, what, what, give us some like, um, where can people kind of cyber stalk the mower and the Stephanie Crockett story? <laughs> sure. So mower.com, um, M O W E R like lawn mower. And, uh, you can find us of course on LinkedIn and Instagram. My, um, Instagram, uh, handle is ginger in the cues since I'm a proud member of the Ginger Nation nice. as a redhead. And um, LinkedIn, I'm just at Stephanie Crockett. That's awesome. He must have <laughs> bought that. When when did he buy mower.com? That has to be worth maybe as much as the whole agency. That's a damn good URL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was a good one. Well, it's so great because um, for our whole life, and I mean, honestly, I'll be on the phone with Eric and he's introducing himself and people still pronounce the company name Mauer. 
And he will be like, I'm Eric Mower, it's nice to meet you. And they'll be like, and the folks from Mower are on. And we're like, oh my gosh. So the lawnmower thing is always something we have always sort of shied away from. But now we just updated our website and there's literally like a little guy mowing the lawn at the bottom of the site. That's awesome. <laughs> like, it's Mower. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> that's amazing well stephanie thank you for yeah sharing your story it's been wonderful super helpful even for me and i know everyone who oh, is listening is uh has been yeah certainly um influenced and impacted by your wisdom so thanks for sharing it with us well thank you thanks for inviting me it's been a great time i appreciate it awesome stephanie tell matt hi and thanks right. again for your time i will thank you talk soon take care as always, thank you for listening. Your attention is super valuable, so thank you for giving it to us. If you're a fan of the show, please go rate and review us wherever you're listening to this. I would really appreciate it. Until next time, when we get to share another great conversation with you, have a great week and let your life tell a meaningful story.